0: Welcome back to the Minnesota West Farm Business Management Podcast. We've got uh, Brian Boomgarden from Pipestone back with us as a farm management instructor, taking us in a little different route, uh, something that you might have heard of, and if you haven't, get out from underneath the rock that you've been living, because we're going to talk cover crops. Brian, you got a special guest with us. Uh, I'm going to have you take it away.
1: Thank you, Jeremy. Today we have with us uh, Mr. Justin Fritke from uh, Milburn Seed over in, you know, he works out of Brookings. I'm sure they have Maybe more than one office, but I'll let him tell us about that. So Justin works with a seed company over there that specializes in that type of thing. And we'll let Justin introduce himself and tell us a little bit about himself before we get going here. But uh, welcome, Justin. And I uh, want you to give us a summation and rundown on yourself.
2: All right. Thanks, Brian. Yeah. So I'm Justin Frickty, and uh, I've been a forage and cover crop specialist with Millborn Seeds for over 10 years now. And uh, certainly have seen that market develop and change and evolve. Uh, over the last decade, I guess, and so what we do here is make sure that we're designing cover crop or forage blends to fit the needs of farmers in their farming systems, their rotations, and then how it fits with feeding their livestock and those plans. And uh, so, yeah, we have a location here in Brookings, as well as one out in Blackhawk, South Dakota, just near Rapid City. Both of those offices you know, service customers retail-wise through wholesale accounts and other seed companies as well.
1: Sure. And so, Justin, maybe, you know, on these podcasts, we never know if we've got people that know nothing, or know a lot, know everything. So maybe start us at Ground Zero. Why cover crops? What's the value? What do we see happening this time of year?
2: Yeah. So I guess in terms of cover crops and why they've gotten important and why they've become more popular, I guess, is because of what we've seen from, of the soil health benefits and and then just pushing the envelope in terms of production per acre. Cover crops, it's not a you know conceptually new concept, but it's something that uh I think we've we've morphed with new and better species into these rotations. And so it's it's been the most popular after small grains, especially here in the upper Midwest, because of our time window. So when wheat harvest starts rolling, In late July, early August, we're coming in with cover crops that are mainly consisting of species that offset a rotation. And those species usually consist of cool season legumes, cool season grains, and brassica broadleaves. And and we're able to introduce new species to that land that the soils have never seen before. And so we're able to boost the, the biological diversity within our land. And we're able to, on on a lot of those fields, produce a lot of biomass that's able to feed livestock, able to graze cows in the fall and winter. Um, That's where the cover crops have worked the best. And now we've really cranked it up in terms of pushing the envelope with getting cover crops in just corn and soybean rotation and using more winter annuals like rye or winter triticale in those rotations late season after corn silage or after an early soybean harvest to try to get a third crop into that rotation.
1: So maybe Justin you could tell us what's our you know and that changes every year maybe but what's when do we like to see those things like this winter rye or winter triticale go in so that if we have folks maybe considering that type of option for themselves what, what's kind of the cutoff that we look at as far as getting those things in the ground? And yeah, so we are
2: right, right in the window for seeding winter annuals and the window of opportunity for cool season annuals like our radishes, turnips, rapeseed, oats, that window usually ends about Labor Day, 10th of September, somewhere in there. You know, in, in most of the upper Midwest, we actually have found have some moisture to work with. So it's like, if we can punch those in and get them growing, we can get them up and get them coming now. But the later it gets, the you know, more limited our growth is going to be. But on those winter annuals, you mentioned, we've got time all the way up until October. And the goal there is just to get them to sprout. If they can sprout, they will vernalize correctly through the winter and then start regrowing next spring. And that's been a, a really awesome window Like I mentioned on silage acres where you can get rye to come and then come back to a soybean rotation after cereal rye. A lot of guys are trying to plant green on top of those rye acres. If you're just in a cropping situation you don't need feed that works really well and then we've got a living green cover there to cover those acres that are usually bare. Keep that ground cover from erosion and then uh, obviously have a little bit of weed suppression from that rye, from that cover and the aliopathic effect that rye does throughout that uh, soybean growing season. Otherwise, we can let it grow and we can harvest off those winter annuals as a forage, usually late May, first part of June, and then come back to, to another uh, forage option, uh, sort of sandgrass millet, uh, maybe an early silage corn as well, something like that.
1: So, Justin, are you seeing more and more uh, producers that are not possibly livestock producers getting into this cover crop thing just for the actual soil benefits and soil health benefits. And uh, what, are they, what are they seeing on that?
2: End? Yeah, I think that when the cover crop trend started to develop, it was, it was more, more folks that weren't so interested in the livestock part of things and were just trying to do it uh, for a soil health benefit. In no-till situations where we're trying to work through some residue, where we're carrying too much residue, you know, after wheat, cover crops were popular then to try to cycle some of that residue, warm up those ground, that, that soil earlier in the spring for that corn crop. And I think that trend continues. In the no-till situation, cover crops are most popular. And I thought, I, I think that probably goes in hand, hand in hand with the people that, are, that have that mindset you know, if you're a no-tiller, you're probably more concern, concerned with soil health, and so cover crops fit well with that personality of that person. And as no-till becomes more popular, or strip-till, less tillage becomes more popular, I think cover crops fit in well with that Two, to help the soil from a biological, biological standpoint, but also to help it to start cycling some of those nutrients quicker.
0: Is it time for some good fun farm facts that have to do with soil health?
3: That sounds good, Jeremy. I'd be happy to do the fun farm facts. I thought uh, today's topic should be comparable to cover crops, so I'm going to talk about earthworms. Earthworms breathe through their skin. Earthworms come out at night, and they are called night crawlers. But they're not the only worms. There are, in fact, 6,000 different types of earthworms around the world. I will give you the rest of the fun farm facts about worms at the end of the show. Back to you, Jeremy.
1: Sure. So, what uh, we've we've seen some information. Are, are you folks working with any of these folks that are putting that, trying to seed into that standing cornfield in July and August? And what's the success rate been on that? And, and uh, yeah. what are the challenges? And
2: right, it is a challenge. And you know, if, if you called me and ask me if you if you should do it, most of the time I have bit of a hesitation to say oh yeah it's, it's great it's gonna work good everybody's having success because that's just not true it's been a lot of hit and miss honestly and I think that's because we're, we're expecting a lot from that system you know I mean when you go into your cornfields at this time of the year we don't have a whole lot of weeds growing you know maybe have some pigeon grass coming or you know a, a few escapes of water hemp, but those fields are pretty clean so to expect a plant to grow in there that we are flying on over those is is not too realistic. So if we're going to do that, we generally have to lower our population of corn, we have to have it under 30,000, or we have to have wider rows to allow some sunlight to penetrate through that canopy of corn to get those growing seedlings to come and stay alive.
1: And that was my next question. Have we seen a lot better success with the altering of the row with, but then what, what do we sacrifice on the other end as far as yield or whatever the yeah. case may be or exactly. use of equipment or whatever the case may be so
2: yeah yeah and um i i've seen all sorts of various studies but just on farm reports of yield data coming from some of these wide row corn trials those we can get the cover crop to come. like they will grow on 60 inch corn rows most of the time though we're going to sacrifice yield And, you know, when when corn was closer to $3, maybe it made sense to capture some more grazing value off of those acres. Uh, When corn's in the sixes and we're giving up yield, that's going to be a tougher sell. And I don't think it quite pencils to be
3: truthful
2: with you. It's, we have to have yield at the, you know, I mean, that's, that's got to be our goal if we're we're growing corn. Corn is king. And we've got to capture that value off yield and not sacrifice yield for for a cover crop, in my mind.
1: <laughs> so, suggestions you would have for people considering trying something? What, what? How would you? And I'm sure you've done this before. So, what? How would you suggest folks get started if they're interested? Maybe,
2: yeah. So, I think the in a corn and soybean rotation, how I would get started is with a winter you know. So, I would either shorten up a maturity on a bean. And, you know, I mean, these, some, some of these bean fields, I, I think there's gonna be some bean harvest probably at the end of the week or first of next week, they're, they're getting close. We've got a perfect window of opportunity to get winter annual in there. Flying on rye over corn does work. And it works because rye is just a resilient little species that uh, it's gonna be there in the spring, no matter what. And uh, that's the one thing that we have had success with. It, it, it pushes back our planting window. Uh, we get it into a cooler wetter growing pattern, you know, in September versus in July. And then that corn is starting to defoliate now. So we can actually get sunlight down through it. So that's where I would start in a corn soybean rotation, getting a cover crop on is, is with a winter annual. And then if if you want to add some diversity the clothes work well that way, crimson clover or red clover can be thrown on in there. And if it's now, I mean, I wouldn't mind putting a radish with white fine on over corn. And you're still going to get some growth on it. You're not going to get the massive tap roots, like you see, uh, you know, as a magazine picture, but uh, you'll get growth on that, but you'll still get a tap root developed from it. So that's that's where I would go with it, I guess. So
1: incentivizing this, so, and maybe you're probably more aware of it than we are, but so what are there incentives for our producers to do this, try this? And is that a governmental incentive or what the case may be?
2: It seems like there's plenty of programs out there. If people want to, you know, get cost here, you know, the most popular is through the NRCS with an EQIP or a CSP contract, you know, individual farm practice that you just want to try cover crops and not do any other conservation practices. I would run through the the EQIP program with an NRCS and give a cover, get a cover crop funding program there. But as we've seen these, uh, emerging carbon programs developed, the cover crop incentives have come along with that. And so there are plenty of those out there too. They're a little bit harder to find, but there's a lot of them out there. If, if you do your research, I guarantee you, you can find somebody to pay for your cover crop. It, it, it's out there.
1: And the carbon credit thing is a whole nother visit, visit what we're going to yeah. have at a later date. And I'm still trying to wrap my head around it all and trying to make sense of it all and and you have probably got a better handle on it but so if we have producers that are interested and i know you work for a particular for-profit company and that's wasn't why we chose you we chose you because i was given your name as a very good source and very knowledgeable in whatever the case may be so Words of wisdom, words of advice, or parting advice you would have for these folks as uh, getting started, continuing, where to where to go locally, or who to contact to get started.
2: Yeah, I think on the cover crops alone, I guess I, mean, I probably mentioned it earlier with making sure that these make sense from a profitability standpoint. I I, I don't want to advise somebody to to try to push it. Just to get a cover crop and sacrifice yield and production, I don't think that's a long-term sustainable practice for farming. So we need to have our sound agronomic practices in mind when we're choosing cover crops, and and that comes down to choosing cover crops that fit in our rotation. And so uh, we don't want to we don't want to sacrifice yield, and we don't want to use cover crops that are really similar to the species that we already have in our rotation. So for example, I say that we, we don't want to harbor, we don't want to have a, I don't know, a, a cow pea right before soybeans, or we don't want to have a forage sorghum crop and cover co- call it a cover crop right before corn. We want to offset our plant diversity. And that's why, make, that's why cover crops have made sense is, is we're able to introduce new species into those soils that work agronomically and we're not harboring or hosting pathogens that are going to be detrimental to our our next cash crop, and it's finding those those windows of opportunity, and 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 having the you know I guess the the nerve to plant the cover crop when that window presents itself, and and being able to just move on it, and in, in agriculture you know we have short windows of opportunities and we have to capture those and we can. So if it was a hailstorm, if it was a, a you know late planted because of flooding, like a prevent plant situation, any of these things where we've given the opportunity to plant something, it's, it's it's certain that we need to be doing that because we've seen the benefits from cover crops that we can get out of it.
1: Sure. Well, uh, I appreciate your time and I'm sure our listeners do too. And maybe if you have some contact information you want to give out, so if these folks might have a question or two and then Once you've done that, I will turn it back to Jeremy and see if he's got any final parting words. So we don't want to take up too much of your time, but we certainly appreciate giving us a little bit of time and giving us some information on this topic.
2: Yeah, no, I appreciate uh, the invitation to be on here. Yeah, so as far as getting a hold of me, our website is probably the best way to do that. Email is on there, and that's milbornseeds.com. And then my email is justinnaff at milbornseeds.com, and that's on there as well. And that's probably the best form of contact. Uh, the way it's call the office here as well is works, works great. So, but certainly uh, more than willing to have uh, to answer any of those questions and, and try to navigate you through that path of climate cover crop.
1: Well, you have for me, and I, I appreciated that. And yeah, some have been successful, some have not, but yeah, that's, that's, that's just far, that's farming and, and that's yep. the way it goes. And yep. sometimes you have. Things happen and life isn't perfect. So, I guess with that, uh, once again, thanks, Justin and Jeremy, back to you, and we'll let you close here.
0: Well, thanks, Brian. Thanks, Justin. Justin, one more thing before I go. You've mentioned a, a, a lot about how we get started. One thing we probably didn't ask specifically, and I know what changes with everybody, but I'm a corn and soybean producer in uh, Southwest Minnesota. If you had to quote me a price I'm looking at harvest here two weeks out I want to put something behind my soybeans what should I I mean am I looking at $60 an acre for application and seed or is it more like 20 Uh, what do you see for range of costs and like I said just give Mm -hmm. me a ballpark
2: yep yep no if if you're going to do something after soybeans ahead of corn you know and we're we're pushing here mid-september like I mentioned earlier your best bet is to use a winter annual and rye head of corn is probably the, not the best thing by itself because it does tend to drag that corn a little bit early in the spring so I'd back that rate down and I'd use a little bit of winter camelina which is a winter annual broadleaf that comes back next spring and then your cost per acre is going to go down too so you're, you're going to be around that $15 per acre for a cover crop and then if you're drilling it you know, you're probably going to be up there around that, that 15 to $20 an acre as well, I guess. So you should be able to get a lot of these cover crops in for, for less than 40 bucks an acre in the sure. field. Excellent. That
0: way our listeners know that when they call, it's not a, a $5 fix. We're, we're going to make an investment here doing our soil health. And yep. the downfall is we a return on investment might not be an annual return. I mean, with long term, we're, we're playing a long game here to make sure our soil hey. health continues to produce large bushels for the next you know generations to come ours are my fam, my my generation and my kids
2: yep yep uh, yep you're exactly right like it
0: well uh in review i mean cover crops have been around for a while but uh, i think there's a renewed interest because of soil health benefits um and it's not just a forage it's not just for the livestock guys there's health benefits for soils for cover crops uh depending on the soil type you have your um weather patterns, where you're locating in the U.S. and in Minnesota, South Dakota, all that factors in. Having a resource that can give you the perfect blend based on your cropping systems is key. And, and Justin gave us his contact information, and we appreciate that. Uh, but as always, don't be afraid to reach out, ask questions, and and learn from people, like Brian said, that have tried it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Knowing why it worked or didn't may uh, may help you find success in the future
3: perfect yeah exactly right thank you justin and brian that was a fantastic presentation on cover crops uh the final fun farm facts on earthworms are earthworms have no bones earthworms have no skeletons the largest earthworm ever found was 22 feet long that's the end of the fun farm facts back to you jeremy have a great day thanks mike stay tuned for our next podcast coming up in two weeks.
2: If you would like more information about farm business management, we have 19 instructors covering the geography of southwestern Minnesota, west central Minnesota, southeastern South Dakota, and northwestern Iowa, working with about 750 farmers. For more information, you can contact us at area code 507-847-7929 or by email at sue dot L-O-V-E-L-L at mnwest.edu, or follow us on Facebook at Minnesota West Community and Technical College Farm Business Management. We look forward to hearing from you.